Well, welcome everybody to this episode of Battle Ready Saints, where we'll be talking about trauma. I am joined by Wes from Calvary Chapel, Chester Springs. Uh, he's uh, a part of that church, and he is also a part of the SISM team for Chester County, which is will explain what that is. But Wes, first of all, thank you for joining us. Thank you for your time. I appreciate you being willing to share uh, your experience in this area. So could you just give us a brief background of, you know, what what your experience is on the SISM team and what it is you do for Chester Springs? So I'm on staff at Calvary Chapel, Chester Springs. Um, I do a whole host of things, as small churches have. You tend to be chief bottle washer, toilet scrubber, um, you know, ministering in many different ways. But one of the roles that I have been tasked with is uh, to go out into the community and work as a chaplain. Uh, not only with our local police department, but that has grown into uh, globally is in the BGEA um, ministry um, and also with uh, the count local SISM team. So in Chester County, we have a very robust, uh, let me back up, SISM, if you don't know, um, it stands for Crisis Intervention in Stress Management. Um, SISM is a was developed, I think, in the 70s. Mitchell is, um, but without boring everybody to death on that, it's basically a peer support um, group um, that after someone has experienced in the first responder community, EMS, police, law enforcement, uh, um, um, uh, firefighters, uh, folks in the radio room, nurses, anybody that's involved in a, a critical incident, um, is given an opportunity to sit down, uh, and we do debriefings, we do one-on-ones. Um, I have a background in EMS as well, um, so that has brought me in as a peer, and then I also act as a chaplain. So um, our county SISM team is uh, is really good, and they bring faith into it, and so I get to be representing in many different ways. Okay, yeah, so... That SISM something that I'm familiar with as as a police officer that, like you said, they'll they'll come in after a critical incident and then try to help everybody process that, which can be quite a challenge because first responders are notoriously kind of closed off, you know, hold the cards close to the chest and don't let people in. So you definitely have a hard job. But you also have a lot of experience with trauma because not only being in, in EMS, but since you're, you serve all of Chester County. And I think that, you know, we've talked before and you go into other counties occasionally as well. Um, yes. So, so anything that happens in that area, you're going to be a part of at least a part of the, the cleanup afterwards. So since we're going to be talking about trauma and what, what it is, what we as Christians should be doing with it, if we experience it, or if we're with other people that are going through it. But first, just so that we're all on the same page, um, could you give us like a working definition of what trauma is? So trauma, we hear of trauma, and in the, in an EMS stand, at, in an EMS standpoint, you would think of trauma as trauma bays, hospital, physical trauma, right, blunt force trauma. Um, something that has happened and created uh, a, something, an effect on your body. But there's also emotional and physiological trauma. Um, so, um, and, and I think the simplest de- definition 
in um, our world is it's a normal reaction to an abnormal event. So we go through our daily lives and trauma to me could be very different than trauma to you. Um, I have uh, right now I have grandchildren and my granddaughter could trip um, in the parking lot and stub her, scrape her knee. And that would be considered very traumatic for her because it's, it's abnormal that she would scrape her knee. And now she sees blood um, and every, you know, her world is turned upside down. Um, for, uh, you know, a, a, an adult, you scrape your knee, you get frustrated, you get annoyed. Um, but in law enforcement, in first responder, in the first responder community, we're trained, you're trained, you go into these events, you know, when everyone's running away from something, you're going in head first. Uh, and your your body is is through muscle memory trained to do the things that you have to do to make sure that everyone is safe, um, whatever that entails, depending on your discipline. Um, but once that has completed, and I think we have to include in this that um, in this physiological aspect, and I want to be clear, I am not a doctor, um, I am not a, a psychiatrist. Um, but, uh, you know, God has given me compassion and an ability to sit with people um, and listen and care for them um, and and bring Christ in a really practical way. Uh, so um, but in those situations, um, you don't we're not trained when you go in um, to, you know, and there's been a lot of stuff in the news recently, uh, shootings. You go into a shooting where children have been killed. Um, and the things that are seen are not things that are normal for people to see. So you then create some type of reaction in your body, in your mind, not made up, but the, the, the chemical reaction in your brain starts to change. Um, and now you've got these images and you've got the sounds and the smells and all of this stuff that's um, kind of a culmination of the event and at some point after these events have happened those that have been firsthand involved now have to figure out how to process that and put it away so um, you're in law enforcement you have been involved in some type of a, um, a bust we'll say you break in and you know people are arrested and they're taken um, you know, to jail. And at the end of your shift or at the end of that event, you go through and you check all your gear again. You make sure your car has gas in it, right? You make sure that your weapon is, is secure, but also loaded and ready to go again, if it needs to be. Um, paperwork, you need to make sure you have the right paperwork. Um, all of that stuff, right? Well, as you're processing these things, and in any case, it could be a simple, you know, EMS and ambulance call, um, and, you know, people call ambulances all day long, um, but at the end of it, now you've got to take care of yourself. Uh, and we have been trained to do all of these things in muscle memory, but there is no muscle memory to how to unwind all of that. Yeah. Yeah. This is a pervasive problem in, in, I mean, I can speak to the, the law enforcement community that, that there's a problem with suicides and depression and PTSD. And there's, so just to define PTSD too, um, 
I'm also not a doctor or a psychologist, um, but I did some some work on uh, some some research into PTSD for my master's, and it's not just something that you don't like, or like people go through an unpleasant experience, and then anything that reminds them of that unpleasant experience, they they say, oh, that's triggering my PTSD or something like that. That's not what PTSD is. PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, is when you encounter something that you your worldview can't account for, some traumatic event that your worldview can't account for. It could be evil that you see or evil that you yourself do or something that you perceive as evil. So like soldiers, uh, from my understanding and from the research that I've done, they develop PTSD more often because of things that they see themselves do than things that they witness in in the field. It, it's both, but it seems more often, you know, when it, when a soldier has to to kill somebody, or in some of the like the the worst situations where they, you know, there's, the, you know, we have enemies that utilize children and will strap bombs to them, and so our soldiers have to then shoot these children, yeah. sometimes not knowing whether or not they have a bomb and maybe sometimes they're wrong. And now they have to square what they just did with their worldview, which is usually in the West. Usually the, the, the common worldview is everybody is basically good and I'm a good person, right? Which is not the biblical worldview. But if you think that everyone's basically good and then you encounter true evil in somebody else, or even worse, you encounter true evil within yourself, yeah. There's not really a way for people to square that with an unbiblical worldview. And so what happens is they don't process it and it keeps replaying over and over and over in their mind. And that's what PTSD is. It's it's your 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 mind replaying traumatic events that your psyche can't process. Yeah. Um and that's a I, huge problem in uh, go ahead. I work with a fellow who's in law enforcement and he's really good at explaining it in a simple, uh, at a very basic level. And you, we are all day long, our minds, our brains are, are, are taking mental pictures of everything that's going on around us. And it, at a moment, and, and it doesn't like, so let's say a child is involved in a horrific event. Um, and, and there's a fatality children, child fatalities are, um, really troubling to anybody, right? Um, mm. Not to be rude or, or, or discouraging, but we all people die, and so mm. if you take a, a 102 year old person in an ambulance to the hospital and they have a stroke and heart attack and die, you know that's sad, but that's not horrible, right? Right. right. If you take a two year old that has died of sudden infant death or whatever, drowned in a pool, and that is really hard to get your head around and so all of us i have children you have children or we have nieces or nephews neighbors kids and you see this child in the first responder context you have to act and do your duty whether it's jump in the pool whether it's to calm the parents down um and you and you're trained and we're getting better with technology you're trained in these events but you're not typically trained with the emotion of what's happening around, um, around you. So, um, the screams, the wailing of a parent, um, the fear that's going on children that other children that aren't, aren't sure what's happening and all of that's being recorded in your mind. And so now after that, um, and it takes, you know, it's 24, 48 hours or so, 
uh, we'll do a debriefing in a, in a traumatic event, a, a crisis. It's a crisis intervention. Um, and we, what we try to do is bring everybody together that's involved um, in the first responder sense, not the family, not the victims, um, but those that were there to do their job. And this friend who does this, he explains it as you, you have these mental pictures and um, everybody has a desk and right, you do paperwork. And if you're really good at your paperwork and you have it neatly organized, um, that's great. If you're not, and you just have papers everywhere. Um, transpose that into these images and you have all of these experiences and it could be multiple uh, experiences in one day. Um, and now you get home um, often people turn to alcohol um, and big, big surprise here. I'll tell everybody alcohol is a depressant. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't help. Um, and again, you have all these chemicals that are going on in your brain that are, you know, fight, flight or freeze. Um, and you can't think, you know, you get trained to do all this stuff so that, you know, as a police officer, you know where your gun is and you know how to fire your gun without thinking about it. Um, for EMS, you know how to do CPR without thinking about it. You just do it. Um, now, as you're winding that down, all of these br- chemicals in your brain are, fl- are just kind of floating around and it needs to all get put back into place. Um, you know, lots of liquid, fl- you know, fluids, exercise, really good sleep, huh. you know, eight, eight, nine hours of sleep, right? You, you just laughed. Everybody <laughs> in law enforcement or EMS kind of goes... You know, I can't, I don't get good sleep, but that's when the brain takes these images and files them away. Mm. Um, it, it, and it takes some time, but it's like if you add, so now you have these images and you have this chemical reaction going on in your brain. If you add alcohol to that, it's like spackle. If you've ever worked with drywall compound or spackle, it makes them, it turns it into cement and now mm. it can't properly file it and flush it out of your system. Those images are never going to go away. You always have. And you in law enforcement, I could say some things to you and it might trigger you to, you know, um, bring the worst image that you have ever seen. And by the way, in EMS, people will ask you, they're like, oh, you're an EMS? What's the worst accident you've (laughs) ever seen, right? Now I'm bringing that back up in my mind. Oh, and you go right to, or in law enforcement, you know, have you ever had to shoot anybody? Um, Mm. You know, everybody wants to ask you that question. And if you can properly file them, they're going to come up again. And, you know, take a piece of paper, like, you know, picture. Okay, there's the event. Okay, got it. I've, I've dealt with that. It's there put it back in the filing cabinet where it belongs. Um, So that's the kind of stuff. And it's very hard to teach that on the front end. Yeah. But we found, and as, as Christians, you know, we can cast our cares upon the Lord. I hear lots of terms about, you know, we can meditate. That's a, that can be a a secret way of saying prayer, Mm -hmm. um, which is a very healthy way. You know, I can talk to the Lord and share the things that are on my heart um, and he's there and he listens. Um, So those things all come into play. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's a good that's a good definition, or gives a good idea of what trauma is and what PTSD is, uh, as well as what it's not. So, um, with that in mind, I was just uh, I just 
as I was reading scripture the other day, I came across this passage that I think um, kind of captures what we all want to do when we see somebody going through trauma or, uh, or we ourselves maybe are going through trauma and we hope other people do. And it's 2 Corinthians 1 verses 3 and 4. And I'll just read it really quickly. That says, uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with comfort which with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And you, you kind of talked about that a little bit when you said, you know, we can bring our cares before God and receive comfort from him. But then when we see somebody going through trauma, and this is something that that I am not good at, like this, you do it regularly. And I'm at work and somebody's going through something awful. And in my head, I'm like, well, I would like to to comfort them, but often it's it doesn't seem like the right time. Or, you know, as as a law enforcement officer, sometimes it's just I'm not in the right position to do that. Like it wouldn't be appropriate. I've got a job to do or something like that. But I think a lot of people are unnerved by trauma and people going through trauma. Like you talked about the wailing, you know, that's something that every first responder has has been through. You're 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 at somebody's house and they're just wailing and screaming because somebody died or something like that like what do you do with that like how do you minister to somebody who's either in the midst of trauma i think that's harder when they're in the middle of trauma um, but also like maybe somebody who's gone through trauma and has never properly filed it away and anytime it comes up people are just kind of like uncomfortable so they just kind of skirt around the issue and then it never gets resolved because some i think some people carry their trauma and and it's never been properly resolved because people just try to avoid it because they just feel like, well, I'm no good at that stuff. So let's talk about something more pleasant. Like what, what should we as Christians be doing to minister to people who are going through trauma? So one thing, don't ever underestimate the value of your presence, your physical presence around someone in a difficult situation. Um, we especially in today in society and, and around us, we have this idea that we need to stop someone from crying, stop someone from suffering, right? And I don't mm. mean they've, their legs pinned under a fence and they're <laughs> suffering from that. I mean, you know, dealing with the emotion. God built these emotions into us for a reason. And, you know, it's when you, it's ironic on the opposite of crying is laughter. If you're in a large a mall or a place where there's a lot of people church uh, and there's a group of people and they're laughing and you hear a lot of joyful sounds, you're drawn to that, right? It's contagious. We want to mm. go be part of that. If you hear someone when they're crying, the first thing we our, our instincts want us to do is to make it stop. How can we stop them from crying? Um, I want to be careful because I don't want to traumatize people with experiences, but I will, I'll, I'll share one with you where an event that um, I, I was at, a mother had just lost her child in, in, a, in a tragic situation. And mm -hmm. I was a young boy um, and I showed up on the scene and I, and I need to qualify this. I have a lot of experience 
but every single call, every single event I go to is a new, fresh event. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I constantly have to ask the Holy Spirit to guide me. I am not an expert at anything except trying to be obedient. Um, there are times where I kick into gear and, you know, maybe that's leading the Holy Spirit, but I, I can't say, you know what, Wes has this, I know what I'm doing and get out of the way and let me do what I do. Um, you have to observe, you have to be just present. Um, in this situation, I was called in by the county. Uh, it was fresh. I was called in to work with the firefighters. When I got to the scene, um, I I quickly kind of determined that one of the issues for the firemen was the family. And they were struggling with um, just the fact that there wasn't someone taking care of the family and they were trying to get their job done. Um, So I was able to take some time and I just, you know, I mean, the the peripheral of this mom um, and, and she's, realizes fairly quickly that there's a new person in on the scene uh, and she looks at me and and she said who are you and in kind of a blunt not not rude in any way but it wasn't like oh hi my name's so and so pleased to meet you um as a as, and i i know from talking to anybody else on the scene who she is and what has happened um and she is literally sitting next to an ambulance where her child is laying on a stretcher in the back of the ambulance Hmm. Um, and he is with the Lord. He's, he's not with us anymore. He's, his physical body is there, but his soul is, and in that case, his soul is definitely with, was with Jesus. So she said, who are you? And I introduced myself. I said, well, ma'am, my name is Wes Weber. I'm a chaplain with the county. Um, and I, I might've said something just here to, to, you know, to be of assistance. And, um, right out of the gate, her, her statement to me was, well, yeah, me and God, we're going to have a few rounds. And, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, (laughs) I don't have anything for this person except, um, you know, whatever the Lord gives me at that moment. So my statement to her was, ma'am, I represent God in this situation, and I don't have anything for you. I don't have an answer to tell you that, you know, I can't sit here. I can tell you what you shouldn't say. Can't (laughs) say things like, well, you know, he's in a better place now. That's the worst thing you can say to someone that's just lost, especially a young one. So could you explain, could you explain why that's a bad thing to say? Cause that seems natural. You hear it all the time. Well, he's in a better place. Why is that the last thing you want to say? Well, because for a mom, there's no better place for a child than in her own arms. Mm. (laughs) I don't care if that child's 25 or one, um, you're telling them that they didn't do a good job. Um, so obviously, yes, if in a healthy situation, you know, and I can tell you in other times I have shared with, so I, let me back up to finish this story. I, okay. I don't know what else. I did not say a lot. I always find that you're better to, if you don't have anything to say, don't say anything because our natural reaction is when there's silence is to fill that silence. If you're just filling silence, filling a void, you're going to say something that's wrong and it's okay. Um, And I'm not, I can be an emotional person. So I have 
no problem crying in that situation. I'm not on the ground, you know, weeping and wailing, but a tear might come to the eye. I might get, you know, red eyed from a situation like that. Um, Through that whole event, there was a whole lot of moments where I'm like, okay, God, you've got this. I could, I can see kind of from the outside looking in that, that the Lord has this situation handled. Do I, I don't understand why this event has happened. And I'll interject this very carefully in these situations, you, David, as a, as law enforcement, your job is to investigate. Why did this happen? What, you know, what evidence is there? Um, who said what, um, what's going on, who's acting strange. That is not my job at all. And sometimes I'm a man. I, you know, I want to fix things. I want to try to understand it. I have to, I struggle with that. And I have to say, I, I, I don't hear all of it. I don't get all the pieces. And you, I want to be like, well, wait a minute, where were you standing? And what was, what was that person doing? Um, but I have to bite my tongue and just shut up because I, I, I'm not there to, to answer their questions. I'm not a detective. I'm not law enforcement. I'm there to bring them hope and comfort. We spent a number of hours together. Um, there was not a lot of conversation. Um, we did not have in-depth discussions. Um, I don't recall all that happened, but the next day I got a call from this woman and she um, very gratefully said, you know, you were the only person that was, that showed compassion to me yesterday. And I'd like you to speak on behalf of my son at his funeral. Now I'm like, okay, uh, like what? I, you know, you take those moments. I can't sit there and go, yeah, good. I won for the team. You know, it's so humbling to think I've never met this young boy, whatever the things that I said. And again, it's a leading of the Holy spirit. And, and I can, I can only do this job based on this passage, the God of all comfort. I can only do this job because I know who the Lord is and I know what he's done in my life. Now, I have never lost a child, Uh, you know, traumatic situations in my life. I have not had these things that I go and see and do. I I don't have experience and I can't show up and say, you know what? I know what it's like to be you because I went through that. Not at all. I have some practical things that I can tell them. I will share. And I think I might've shared this with her. Um, I share with them that in these traumatic situations, people will say the dumbest things imaginable. Um, Someone said to her at that point, it wasn't me, it was someone else. And they said something to the effect of, which is true, but it was the wrong thing to say at that time, something to the effect of, well, our bodies weren't designed to die and God didn't design your son for this. And that's why this is so hard. Um, And it's like, okay, (laughs) you know, or he, and, and he's in a better place, things like that. Um, and, and some people say, you know, oh, I understand what you're going through. You don't later down the road, months, years, these people, you know, someone that's lost a child might become friends with someone else that's lost a child and be able to share some of the common 
fears and thoughts and things like that. But in that moment, you can't, I can't, no one can say they understand. But my physical presence, you know, the Bible talks about Joseph blessing Potiphar's house because he was there. And so in these situations, this family, they are Christians and they love the Lord. Um, I have found that it's very much easier to do what I do in situations where they have some background and understanding of who God is. Um, I have been in some situations where they are just nothing. They don't want anything to do with God. There is no God. They're happy to have me sort of be there and uh, offer some condolences and have a presence, but they're not at all. Um, interested in hearing about scripture or um, right because there's no foundation of for hope then you know all of our hope is and comfort is from god and so we can try to help in little ways but if they're if they just reject any of that then they're really rejecting the true source of comfort and hope um i did just want to say a couple of things one is that be it can be very difficult on police officers who are involved in that situation because of what you said about how, you know, we have a job to do and we have to investigate. And I know that like, this is not unique to me. I'm sure every, every law enforcement officer has experienced this, but like I've been on multiple death scenes where, you know, a spouse has lost their loved one, you know, like the, uh, the, it's, it's usually the husband that dies and the wife is, 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 the, is the one that found him or sometimes it's vice versa. And sometimes it's it's cut and dry, like, yeah, they had all these medical issues and it was just a matter of time and it's just it's just hard now that the time has come. But sometimes it's like, well, he wasn't that old or she wasn't that old and they didn't have any medical issues. And so we have some questions. And so now while this person is mourning the loss of their spouse, we have to be like, yeah, sorry, uh, but did you do it? <laughs> like, you know, like we could try to say it a little bit more gently than that, but like, some of the I, I've watched some of the the officers that have been doing this a lot longer, and they have a lot like a kind of a a way to present these questions while putting them at ease and and just trying to make them understand that, that we're just we, we're there to do a job and we have to ask certain questions and we're not trying to accuse them or offend them or anything like that. But it can be very difficult when you see the emotion that that somebody's going through and just know that well I have a a series of things that I have to do. And then I just leave, you know, like it's hard. If you have a heart for people that are going through suffering, it's hard just to leave, you know, and just know that, well, sometimes they're alone, you know, and there's nobody there because they don't have family or friends that are over or or something like that. And those are the worst because, you know, they're just going to be there alone with this suffering. And, you know, we can stay, and, and give some extra time and attention, but we can't stay for six hours, eight hours. You know, we, we have to go to the next call or right. So, so that can be very difficult. And just for, and I for, have, I have done, there's one department we work with where we do a lot of that. And they bring us into those types of scenes so that mm-hmm. we can sit with the family and actually be the buffer. Um, yeah. you know, again, not to be crude, but ask them, you know, was he wearing white sneakers? Um, and then they're not caught up in the emotion of like, Oh my God, is it, you know, and all of this. Um, and, and I can ask it and then walk them through it and, and give them a very black and white answer. Yes. He was wearing yeah. white sneakers. Uh, and they can, and then they're able to, you, you're able to do your job 
knowing, like you just said, there is someone that's sitting with them and that's holding their hand, um, asking them some questions. I I like to ask a lot of times, tell me, I, I, every time I have done this, I have never known the people, the families. Mm -hmm. So tell me about Jim. You know, I, I haven't, I've never, I never had the chance to meet Jim. Can you tell me some things? And that kind of resets them and lets them start talking and, 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 you know, get out of the, 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 the fray of just all that's going on in the commotion. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the other thing, like you said, is that can be difficult is in that moment, right after the trauma has happened, it's 100, usually it's 100% emotion that's coming out of them. So like when they say things like God and I are going to have to go a few rounds or they, they say, they say some pretty, uh, intense things. Yeah. And it's important, I think to under, like you were saying, to understand that this is emotion talking. And if we are, if we want to have a theological debate over, well, you're not going to go a few rounds with God because when you stand before, like, I've, like not the time. So I maybe just understanding that while it can be difficult for, for some of us to not engage in a philosophical conversation about the afterlife when people are making statements like these, understand that not, none of that would get through right now. It is, they're, they're running on 100% emotion and 100% negative emotion. So sometimes well, and, all you can do is... And yeah. their minds, so you're operating in fight, flight, or freeze, right? You are oper operating in a constant state of, of arousal, right? You're at this level of some, everybody's a threat, you know, not, you're not standing with your gun drawn, but you know, right. what's going on. They are as well. This is out of the norm for them. It's a normal reaction for an abnormal event in their life. Um, so, and that, and that's important. So when you, and I have seen the the more seasoned you get as a police officer, I think you learn to deal with this and especially with Christ to have the compassionate side. And I've, I've, I've worked with officers that, that don't know Christ, but still can be very compassionate um, and care for other human beings. But um, you, you are doing your job and you sort of, you've got that, you know, kind of these walls up of it, it's not emotion. I need to get through my job. And, and they'll say things. I have, sh I have literally shown up on scenes where a police officer has called me. I've talked to him on the phone. I get there and it's nighttime, it's dark, I'm walking in, and they're about to throw me against the wall and frisk me, like, who are you and what are you doing here? You can't be here. And I'm like, hey, bud, it's Wes, you called me. And they sort of, it's almost like you kind of snap your fingers, and they snap out of it. And they're like, oh, yeah, sorry, okay, come come this way, kind of thing. Because, you know, you're you're going through the motions of what you've been trained to do. Compassion is not something that you can easily train for. We we're taught it. God gives us the ability to have compassion, right? If, you know, we give comfort because we have been comforted as the verse says, right? And so there's been plenty of times where I've been comforted and it's not because I've lost a loved one. It might be because I'm in, you know, having difficulty with my wife that or I've done something that has created strain in my home and you, you know, you feel alone. Mm. Yeah. So that, that kind of, that may be, a bit of an answer to the next question, which is like, how and when would we share the gospel with somebody who's going through trauma? And the answer may be different for law like first responders versus just uh, somebody that's outside that field, but knows somebody 
or has met somebody that's that's gone through or is going through trauma, you know, because like same as I, I mentioned before, there have been lots of situations where something terrible has happened. And in my mind, I'm thinking like, well, really, the only good news or the only hope that these people have is the gospel. But as the the cop on scene, you know, is it really the time for me to start laying out the gospel? And then if I'm like, the answer seems to be no. And then I'm like, well, is that, does that mean that I'm like a bad Christian because I'm not sharing the gospel in this, you know, in this scenario where it seems like it's the answer? Not at all. Uh, you know, I, I love the, this, not necessarily a super traumatic event, but it would have been for this woman, the woman um, who had been a bleeding issue for 13, 12 years. And Jesus is going to heal Jairus's daughter. Um, and he's, this crowd is thronging on him and, you know, and she comes and she has, it says she had exhausted all of her financial resources. She probably lost her husband. She would have been divorced. He could have, you know, had her put out because of that. Um, and, you know, who knows what other tricks, right? Everybody, we have all of these answers for why someone might have a health condition. And, you know, if you stop eating rice and start eating lots of, you know, be whatever you, we have, we have tricks for everything. Uh, and she had tried them all and she heard that Jesus could help her and she touched his garment and it, you know, he turned around and he looked at her and he said something to her that I think it's only once you can, you can check me. He doesn't say it often. He said he called her his daughter, right? First, he's, I mean, first he said, someone touched me. And all the guys are like, what? How, are you kidding? Everybody's touching you. And he goes, no, something happened. I felt it. I, I felt. And he calls her out. And it sounds like a really rude, if you read the text, um, I think it might be in John 8, but it sounds like a really rude interaction. And you think, whoa, take it easy, Lord, this poor woman. Um, but then if, if you kind of step back and study it, he he says to her daughter and i my personal opinion in that moment the words mattered more than anything she needed to know that she was somebody's daughter and not just somebody but god's daughter and i think that meant more to her than the fact that she was healed now flip the scene and look at jairus who is the temple ruler Right, he would have been the the guy in charge of logistics. He would have excommunicated her. He would put be the one to put her back in good standing. He sees that this man that is in a few minutes going to raise his daughter from the dead, his daughter, he sees that Jesus is calling this woman who was unclean to him, his daughter. So, where I'm going with all that is our words matter. I think it might have been, it was one of the, um, I think it might have been D.L. Moody said, you know, share the gospel often and use words when necessary. <laughs> um, in those situations, I, I will tell you my personal opinion. It is not the time or the place to sit down and say, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I, when I can... I try to make a personal relationship with the people that I interact with, whether it's in a schism debriefing or a, a traumatic event that I am at, at personally. I will write them a card. I will share scripture with them. 
Um, I love when we could talk about it without saying Jesus and, and you know, get, have your sins forgiven, and which is all very important. It's critical to our salvation. Um, there's a great Psalm, Psalm 43, that says, Oh, my soul, why are you cast down or why are you disquieted within me and hope in God, right? So I can turn them to that. I can say, you know, here, this is what you're feeling. And they're like, yes. And okay, let's turn to God, right? Start with a general direction and then let the Holy Spirit hone it in. Um, I can share, um, I can write them, uh, you know, this is who's helped me. This, you know, I'm praying for you and, uh, you know, God of all comfort, things like that. And I've had some great conversations. That mother that I described earlier, um, you know, she... I would hope no one would ever say this. She didn't come back. I, I still, I am good friends with this family. Uh, and it was four or five years ago. She would never come and say, you know what? I'm glad that happened because it brought me closer to God. What she has said is through all of this, I have grown closer to Jesus. And so, uh, you know, that is really helpful. Um, mm. and, and I can, I had a, I dealt with a mother when I say I talked to this woman for less than a minute, I talked to her for less than a minute. It was an overbearing. Her husband was away. She'd lost an eight-month-old baby. Um, and so her dad, the mom's dad, was with her. It was a police event. So she was being interviewed by the detectives because it was, probably, I think it was a sudden death or something, you know, cardiac arrest. Horrible. Just, I mean, you can't imagine this stuff. Um, and I got to talk to her friend. I don't, again, it was one of these things. I don't know exactly what I said to her, but I knew in my mind, I wanted to try to reiterate to her that her child was in heaven. There's no question. There is no question in my mind. David talks about it when he loses his son through Bathsheba, you know, I will, you know, he's dead. I'll see him again when I go to him. Um, and, and I, you know, I don't know what that age of accountability is, um, but I, there is no doubt in my mind that you can go through scripture in God's heart and say that there's no way he would send an eight month old to hell. Um, I don't care what her parents were doing, whatever. Yeah. I got, uh, a year later, I got a card from her. I still have it on my desk, um, with a little, uh, just a memorial and a picture of her, uh, Adia, Adia. Anyway, she wrote to me and she said, you know, I still every day think of the words that you shared with me that night and the, the effect it has had on me and the hope it has brought me. I don't know what I said. Like I can't go back <laughs> and say I pulled a, a, a passage and I pulled, a, you know, but there is an example of just sharing the love of Jesus, having presence, um, being intentional in someone's life. So well, and allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you, because it was probably something that God intended for her to hear, and he used you as a mouthpiece. Whatever and that's why you don't remember, because you didn't plan. And so maybe... You and know, I can't you, like, use it again. Right, right, yeah. Because right? it's not yours. <laughs> capture it and say, okay, make it a Hallmark card, or make it a, a you know, a th- an eight-hour training, and this is what you say and do. Yeah, yeah. And I think that particularly, well, those of us that that want to have a formula to plug into every situation because, you know, in law enforcement, we have policies and procedures. And so there's a way to do everything that we encounter. And so things like this, we want to, we might want like the, the procedure, like, what do you do? What do you say when somebody's experiencing trauma? And it sounds like, you know, what you're saying is there isn't a formula. 
you just you you just be there and be yielded to what the Holy Spirit wants you to do, which may be nothing other than be there. But if he wants you to to speak, we don't want to be crowding out what the Holy Spirit's trying to lead us to do because we have a plan and and well, we we know what to do in these situations because we've been through them before. You know, right. not not that it's wrong to bring experience into these these situations, but um, we definitely want to be yielded. So I, we got off track, and I want to wrap this up for your listeners because I think it's important. Back, I started with talking about schism and a debriefing, and you asked about sharing Christ. And so, mm-hmm. in a debriefing, we get everybody that was involved in the event that can make it. it leadership is important. If chiefs will make will mandate people go, we're, I am seeing in the last year, two years, a tremendous turnaround in who will attend these. And then we sit in that homogenous atmosphere. It's not a um, critical criticism of the event. It's not a let's study what happened and what did we do wrong. Um, And it it allows everybody to talk about it. Mm -hmm. It allows them to share their perspective, what they first saw. It might bring some um, a closure to someone else that was involved and never heard their piece or what you know, they saw something that the other person didn't see, uh, things like that. It also allows someone that's more seasoned. And a lot of these get emotional um, and people will start crying. You know, we joke the hardest. I mean, I've sat with 20 or 30 SWAT guys who are like, what are we going to do? You know, there's cursing, they're swearing, and they're on the fringe to they're in the huddle. It's usually in a circle uh, and they're talking and they're sharing and they're like, yeah, I struggled with that. Yeah, I have, tr- I have, I've had a little bit of trouble sleeping myself. Um, there is colorful language, as in EMS and in first responders and in law. You know, there is, and you, it's not for the faint of heart. I don't care if people use foul language around me. I don't, you know, close my ears and go. Oh, I've been, you know, been offended. Um, <laughs> and but I don't, I don't jump in and share it. I don't, I don't partake in it. Um, but I'm not, I don't act. Uh, strange around it but there are oftentimes someone i will i look for and someone will say well somebody upstairs was looking out for me or i don't care what anybody says but there was a higher power and they'll use those kinds of words and as the i can share throughout all of this as i want as the chaplain though i can say hey let me tell you something i know who that higher power is um, and we take, I bring Bibles. You, I, you've seen one. I have EM, EMT Bibles. I have uh, law enforcement Bibles and I have firefighter Bibles. Um, I also have um, some other little um, devotionals and things. Uh, and I leave them. They're free. You can take them. I don't, I don't force anybody to take them. I can't keep, I so far, every time I go to one of these and take them, I don't bring it up. Um, and I've had chiefs say to me, Hey, do you have any more? I, I'll take, I've taken recently took to two different local chiefs, um, a dozen each of the law enforcement Bibles. Um, and they're like, this is awesome. Thank you. Um, so I can share who Christ is. I can say, you know, I can say the word Jesus in those things. I don't always, I look again for the leading, but in those debriefings, um, and I can, I, I get to pray at the end. We always end in prayer. Um, and even to the point where if the, one of the, the hardest guys in on the team who doesn't like it, if he's the one leading it, and no one else is there, he'll be like, Hey, do you guys mind if we have the chaplain pray? Um, you know, he's asking for it. And I pray in Jesus name. Um, 
and they say, you know, if anybody doesn't want to stick around for this, you can leave. And, you know, I don't know, eight, nine years, no one has ever walked out uh, and said, I don't want anything to do with this. Um, you know, they tend to be law enforcement's great. You know, this you're taught it's beat in you to be respectful. Um, so, you know, they're very, you know, yes, sir. And very, you know, respectful to me. Um, but that I've had some really good, con- and then you find out I've had some great conversations, but then you find out there are brothers or sisters that are wearing the uniform. Um, yeah. and I, I, I'm blunt with them. I'm like, look, guys, you don't want to be in law enforcement when the, if you don't know the Lord, because there's going to come a day <laughs> we're going to be gone. Okay. And you're going to be left to try to contend with this. And, and then in that period, there's going to be a time where people, there's going to be a six month period where no one can die. Mm-hmm. Now I can't imagine that. I just can't fathom that with the things that I've done and seen and been involved with. But um, and, and some follow up, I, I'm, you know, I'll write letters to people, uh, to try to encourage them because you can tell they're struggling and you don't want to embarrass them in front of their peers. Um, so I'll write them, a, you know, a letter or a card and I might get a response. I might see them later and have them say, Hey, I really appreciate that. Um, so the personal contact, I'm not a big fan. Texting is awesome for information. It's not great for how you do it. You know, I want a voice. I want a face. Stop and see them. Can I buy you lunch? Um, can I write you a hand? You know, I'll write them a handwritten card, uh, things like that. So there is opportunity. Is are people getting on their knees and accepting Christ? No, I have. I will say, in Ferguson, I was involved in the riots in Ferguson, uh, and there was an event there where. We were embedded in the Ferguson PD, and there was a gentleman who was just, they were a mess back then, if you can only imagine. Um, yeah. And he knew, and he accepted Christ right there. We were having lunch, and he's like, I need Jesus. Um, and he accepted Christ, and it was an amazing thing. Um, so I, I wanted to circle that back to the um, to the debriefing, because yeah. that's part of, like, the SISM team is very important in caring for our first responders. Uh, and yeah. We to, to discuss it. Yeah, as as somebody who has been through some of those traumatic events and has people come up at afterwards and and ask them how they're doing, like very rarely. Well, I I've never, I don't think I've ever been like, well, you know, I just need to emotionally just get all this off my chest. But so I don't always. It's not that I'm engaging them in in these deep conversations, but I do always appreciate it. You know, like like when when somebody calls or, you know, like our, our chief now, we have a great chief and he, some, we, we had a, a, a pretty messy fatal accident. It was a kid on a, on a motorcycle oh. and, uh, and he, he like came up to like in person, the guys that had to deal with that and, and asked how we were doing and if there was anything that we needed and, you know, if we, if we wanted to talk to somebody or something like that, you know, and he's, that's not the only time that he's he's brought attention to that 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 aspect of policing where you know he's aware and i think to just knowing that that people are aware and they they come up and just acknowledge that hey that was rough are you okay <laughs> you yeah. know like i have i have certain friends that i'll talk to about a, a, a little bit more in depth about that stuff but it's it's helpful knowing that that people recognize like hey you just went through something kind of rough are you all right you know so that, just like you said, don't underestimate your presence. I would say also 
don't underestimate just checking in on somebody and asking them how they're doing. They may say, I'm fine, even though you know they're not fine. And then maybe like, well, that was a waste of time. It probably wasn't because it makes it lets them know that that somebody's watching them and cares about, you know, what's going on with them after having gone through something harder while they're going and through something. We're hard. in a culture where it's okay to say, you know what, I really care about you. I appreciate who you are. And maybe it's even appropriate to say to someone, I love you. You know, I wouldn't <laughs> say that to any, just anybody, but there are people that I'm close enough to, to be like, you know, what? I really love you. You mean the world to me. Uh, and not in the, not in the sense of like, you know, the, the romantic love, but like, Hey, you matter. And back to the listening, you have to do active listening. It's something that we are not good at as a society right now. Mm-hmm. We are not good at actively listening to what people are saying. I, I'm sometimes I'm not good at it in that role. I have to be good at it. And it's, if you know that I'm not there to fix anything and I'm there to just listen, it's easier. Um, but it, yeah, you know, and 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 active listening, you pay attention to things they're saying and remind them somewhere along the conversation that you know what you know. Use a word or use a phrase or ask them a question. Wait, tell me about John. You know, tell me what he was like. Or wait, you said Jim is. I'm sorry, who's Jim? Jim oh, Jim's your brother. Okay, mm-hmm. I see. And and keep them kind of on point. But it becomes some of those situations, and you've probably seen this, David. They it's I call it verbal vomit. I don't know me from anybody and you start talking to them and they just spew and yeah and, and just blah, 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 blah. and I, it's not there's not going to be a test later um and you know it's not you know just let them and just that actively getting that out helps talking about it helps um in those situations and i can talk you know i i'm known i'll be driving down in my in my truck i'll be driving and talking to the lord and i'm like i'm not on speakerphone or anything but i'm like lord i don't understand this and just having a conversation as if he's talking back to me god doesn't talk back and say wes i told you not to do that you know but not that he can't answer to other people but i don't get that right Um, but i don't i have no problem talking to him he knows what's in my heart so it, whether it's spoken or not, he already knows. So I might as well dialogue it in some cases when I'm really struggling. Yeah. Well, we're closing in on an hour, but there's two more questions I want to cover quickly. One is, does somebody who's struggling with trauma uh, or a traumatic event, struggling with dealing with that, does that mean that they're a weak person? Or if it's a Christian, does it mean that they're a bad Christian? Because we should be you know, being comforted by God. And if, if I'm not finding comfort in God in the midst of all this trauma, there's got to be something wrong with me. You know, what, what do you have to say with somebody who's going through that? Well, on the Christian perspective, right off the bat, read the Psalms. <laughs> yeah. Like, here's a man who was after God's own heart, right? Here's a man who was, who dealt with more. I'm, I'm right now going through first Samuel and we love David and Goliath, right? We all want to be, you know, that, you know, little ruddy David with his slingshot and, you know, flop there, you know, this giant's dead. And if I only had a mountaintop experience like that, I would trust God forever. Read the next 14 chapters or 13 chapters. Saul's trying to kill him every time he turns, right? And you you read some of that and then you read the corresponding Psalms and you're like, wow, here's a guy who really 
was honest. He was honest with God. He knew who God was. Um, and I'm, I'm in, in depth right now going through First uh, Samuel 21, which is the time when he, he eats the showbread in the church. You know, he's struggling. He leaves, he leaves Jonathan behind um, and realizes he's in trouble. And he goes to goes to the church, goes to the priest, and he's hungry. Uh, dough eggs there and all that. And it's just the next thing you know, he's got Goliath's sword, right? He goes from this man who, you know, my God can take care of anything to that's the sword. I need that. Takes the sword. It's like taking somebody's fancy car that you just, you know, you killed them, took their car and drive it into their neighborhood. Like, look at me, goes into Gath with it um, and, and plays a madman. But there's some incredible Psalms that he wrote during that time where he's like, you know, God of all comfort, um, you know, the angel of the Lord camps around those that fear him and deliver him. So no, there is absolutely, as a Christian, you know, it is not, you're not weak to deal with post-traumatic stress or to, to actively deal with difficulty in your life. As a matter of fact, I think you're strong um, because of it. Um, these are real things. If you over, if you overexercise, if you overtrain and you hurt your arm, there's a physical disadvantage, right? You see that, right? Mm. But if you deal with too much and you're, you're, you know, your the connection of how to sort it through that it, it's, it's not bad. It, that's not, there's nothing wrong with that. And in PTSD, like you said, it's all of this stuff and you can't file it away. It just keeps you reliving it. Um, mm -hmm. I have dealt with, I know I've been in some live fire situations, a very traumatic event and a couple of them and, and, and had trouble sleeping for a day or two and kind of found that I was like, like just kind of, like, you know, um, but it, it, it wound down slowly and, and PTSD is when, you know, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks later, you're still like, Oh, I can't, you know, um, and, and you know, our heart, I think it's a okay. when you, when the electricity in your heart just keeps quivering and it's not pumping right, you got to shock it. Right. And that resets it. Well, we, there are times when we've dealt with so much and we have to reset it. The world is getting worse and worse, David. We are not, it is no longer a town of Mayberry. Um, and you know, bad things are happening to good people every day. Uh, the enemy is, is just wreaking havoc and, um, it, it is traumatic and these, you know, so to answer your question of both of those, absolutely not. I think you're stronger, um, if you're willing to admit it. And I've been in these debriefings where I've seen the old school guys, you know, 50, 60, 70 year old men that are firefighters or police that are like, when we were kids, you know, you just sucked it up and you drank a beer and you went back to work and you did what you were supposed to do are now literally in tears saying, listen, you guys, this stuff, you need help and you need to stay on top of it because it, you can't let yourself get to the point where you're now, and I don't mean to be rude or, or graphic, but you're now sitting in your basement with a gun in your mouth saying, I, it, nothing makes sense and I can't do this anymore. And, and, and it's, you're, you, there's something, you're not a bad person. There's something broken, right? Yeah. The physiological thing, the chemicals that are going and it, law enforcement, first responders, all of that. It's a real, we're dealing, we deal with the worst of people's lives. And we have to be our best when we're doing it. And that is yeah. a challenge. Yeah. 
And that extends to people outside of law enforcement as well. Like, obviously, that's the context that we're kind of coming at it in because that's our experience. But, you know, uh, PTSD and tra traumatic events, those traumatic events. And that this is the other thing is that's that's just kind of an odd thought for me, because like I'm used to being in the middle of these events and I'm used to seeing the medics and the and the firefighters like we all know each other. But it's sometimes easy to forget that the people that are at the root of this traumatic event are just regular people. They weren't expecting this. Like I expect to go into work and have to deal with traumatic, uh, traumatic events. That's just part of my day. But these people that were just driving to work or whatever, they weren't expecting this. This is way outside of their, not only is it involved them personally, but it's, it's, it's way outside of their nor like their, their spectrum of normality. And so, you know, hopefully all of this is something that people who have been through things like that can can take to heart. Or if you're somebody who knows somebody that's gone through this or is going through this, you know, it helps helps you able to approach them um, and know just how to minister to them and how to love them. Um, and then lastly, um, and not not to uh, this is one of those conversations that could I wish could go on for for many, many more hours. Yeah, this, yeah, there's just so much. It's just such a, a heavy topic and there's just so much to unpack. And I think it's one of those areas where there's like more attention needs to be uh, given. But lastly, having said all of that. Is there a point? Well, that, well, there is. But like, what would you say about the like when when the point comes where somebody moves beyond having to deal with their trauma and has kind of integrated it into their identity. And now they won't let it go. Like they, it's almost like they don't want to process it because it's part of who they are. And so they're constantly using that to defer to, to maybe it's a, a woe is me kind of situation, or um, it's an excuse to, to get out of accountability or maybe it's n nothing intentional and it's just they're so used to it being a part of their everyday life that processing it and getting past it just is is just foreign to them like they they don't they don't think that that's in the cards um any uh any any like warnings on how to look out for that in ourselves and any suggestions on how to approach somebody who is is uh maybe has just kind of kept that as a part of their their identity and it's always in the front of their mind well when you see it when it happens slowly you don't always see it and you know you and i are both married we both have wonderful wives my wife is very good at and very patient at that occasionally she will be like gotcha uh there's something wrong and you know just she won't come out and yell at me and say, there's something wrong with you. She's very subtle and kind of sort of just begins to have that discussion. Um, I could tell you like I, so I was involved with Sandy hook. I was in the EEOC of Sandy hook uh, the day after it happened. Uh, I worked with uh, the, the top Colonel they brought out Stebbins. I think his name was out of the, from the state police. I worked with the, um, the firefighters. I was in that fire hall for a week. Um, I was not, you know, as a chaplain working with people, horrible, horrible, horrible situation. It, it, and I don't know how God did it. And it didn't make sense to me, but I left that 
it was, it, it, it had an effect on me, but I, I never had a moment of like, okay, that was just all, like a breakdown until at the time. I don't know if you remember, have you ever seen the movie Les Mis? That movie was yeah. out just about that time. And there's a point in Les Mis where in the play, somehow this kid gets shot or killed. But in the movie, it was a flat out, like they shoot this little kid. And we're at the movie theater a month or two later watching this movie and boom, they do this. And it all hit me at once. Everything. Hmm. We, I couldn't get out of that theater fast enough. I'm driving down the road and I am a, just a mess. I mean, I am bawling. I am upset. You know, I'm grown man. Grown men don't cry. Right. Um, and my wife looked at me and she goes, I was wondering when that was going to happen. Um, <laughs> people, tend to change. So hopelessness shows itself very clearly. Words of despair. If you catch people saying, why does it matter? We're all going to die. You know, I don't care. I'm just going to go home. Drinking excessively. Alcohol in, in the first responder community and in this dark world that we deal with of death and those things um, and trauma and crisis um, alcohol is rampant. Drugs are rampant. Um, so if that relationship with alcohol for someone is all of a sudden changing, um, and always there, if they're not shaving, not clean, you know, don't really care about themselves. Those are all things to take notice of and pay attention. Um, and those are times to say, Hey, you're not yourself partners, you know, something's wrong, dude, what's going on? Um, let's talk. And I think you have to be blunt with people, um, you know, and say, you're not yourself and something's wrong and what gives and, and really go after them. I don't mean physically, but get in their face and, and tell them that they matter. Tell them that you care about them. Um, you know, tell them there is hope, um, things like that. Cause it is real. And if, if it's, if you're too close to it, you almost don't see it right? Because it's slow and steady, right? Just creeps up on you. Um, but, it, you know, drastically from the outside looking in and you're like, man, what is wrong? Um, the Holy Spirit is amazing. When you're in tune with the Holy Spirit and he says to you, call that person, pick up the phone and call that person. The Holy Spirit says, write him a letter or go visit him. Go, don't hesitate. I have never been disappointed in following the leading of the Holy Spirit. I have often been disappointed in not following the Holy Spirit's leading. And so we have all of these tools around us as brothers and sisters in Christ. We have access to the Holy Spirit. And if he puts something on your heart all of a sudden, you got to challenge him. Why? Is it because you want me to pray for them? Is it because they need help? Um, you know, what's going on? And just kind of assess the situation. Did that answer your question? Yeah, I think so. Um well, what about the aspect of just letting go? Like maybe they're not falling into a depression and becoming like like um, like in danger of becoming suicidal. But like, have you have you ever seen somebody who just won't let go of? not not the experience but uh, but just the the well here's here's an example you know just uh 
kind of a almost like a silly example, but you know, like somebody goes through something unpleasant, and it is it it's it's truly unpleasant. You know, maybe maybe it's tr- it's it's actual trauma, or maybe it's just something that is unpleasant. And then anytime they they experience something that reminds it of them, kind of like I said earlier, they're like, well, that's triggering my anxiety. I just can't I can't deal with that. And they almost use that as a way to get out of unpleasant things. Um, I guess like how, how would you approach somebody like that and, and encourage them to let the, 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 the trauma or let that experience go? You know, Dave, that's a good question. I don't have a solid answer for that in that some people just want to be miserable. Some people like misery loves company, right? Yeah. They feel more comfortable. They get they get more attention if they stay in that. And I don't mean someone that's dealt with a very traumatic event and you know they're, right. they're having trouble processing that. But there are other people that are on the fringe and be, and they will they will copycat it. Or right, you know that that's I think maybe more of what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, I don't. I don't have a lot of patience for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And uh, look, I need to be, we all need to be more sensitive. um, I think at times, but that that misery, misery loves company. And there are people that are just going to be miserable. Um, Mm. And, and you can't change that. You can, I try to change the sub in situations like that. I try to change the subject and just be light and airy and, you know, you know, just let's move on and uh, oh you know look, look look at things i love i have challenged people with this i love the um the children's song i got the joy 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 down in my heart and, yeah um i i have challenged people when you're when you're struggling and i and, and it would work with this but i'm not talking about traumatic events i'm talking about just being oh what was me um and sing that song and it's hard to be mad and angry and oh my wife's upset with me because I didn't take out the trash and now I'm, or I'm hugging the edge of the bed and she's hugging the other edge of the bed. And, you know, I, I'm not going to say I was wrong because she was wrong. You know, <laughs> yeah. Darn it. I'm just, I'm going to put my foot down. Meanwhile, I'm going to waste three days of my life just being miserable. Um, you know, sing that I got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart alone somewhere, uh, out loud. You, you laugh, you just can't help yeah. but to laugh. And, um, so I, you know, I challenge people with that. I had a guy once who was upset and, you know, dealing with some stuff in his life and, uh, wasn't a first responder, but I, I, I told him that and he was so mad at me for saying that. But like six months later, he's like, could you imagine this burly contractor driving down the road singing? I got the joy, joy down in my heart. <laughs> um, and he go, but it, for him, it helped at the time. He didn't want to admit to it till later. Um, yeah. But some people you just can't, I mean, I, some, maybe, maybe God's got someone else for them. You know, we can't. Yeah do i can't do everything for everybody i can only do what god's calling me to do i do need to take inventory because everybody's important to the lord Mm. and you know you know some again back to trauma and crisis you know you deal for you a crisis is going to be pretty traumatic um i had a friend the other day who i he was bugging me bugging me bugging me i told him i wasn't gonna be available I i literally was dealing with a suicide um, and later that night I had to deal with another suicide. Um, and I, I told him I wouldn't be available that night. Next day, he's like, I called you. I left your message. And I said, listen, Bob, I, I was dealing with two suicides last night. I told you I couldn't. 
And he's like, I'm sorry. And he called me back the next day and he's like, don't ever tell me that again. I can't hint. That's awful. Why did you tell me that? Um, you know, he was really, and I, I had to go, okay, I have to be careful here because there are some people that just can't deal with that. Right. Um, and some of the things that people see and do and they know it and that's okay. Um, but sometimes people are just miserable and they get attention for being miserable. It's, it's, it's not a good behavior, but it is a true, you know, it's, it's an effect. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I guess that would be a good, as good as any place to wrap it up. Like I said, I wish we could, we could keep going cause there's lots more that we could dig into, but, uh, I guess in closing on, on my end, I would just encourage anyone that is struggling with this, with trauma, whether first responder or not, um, that they would, A, if you're a Christian, I think it's important to bring it before the Lord. Because like that verse says in in 2 Corinthians that we read, God is the source of comfort. And so I think that even though we may not feel like praying is going to fix anything, I think we could take a page out of David's Psalms and just honestly bring our pain before God. And I, I, my experience is that the Holy Spirit does not disappoint. You know, he's, he is somebody who is worth bringing those things to. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, if you need to reach out to somebody, reach out to somebody, um, you know, first responders, like police officers, we all know other police officers who have committed suicide. Um, that alone is rough, but that also indicates the fact that there is something going on in the fact that we have to, like one traumatic experience is enough to give somebody a struggle for their whole life. Police officers and other first responders just see one after another after another, and it piles up and it compounds. And so it's important, like you said, that we, that we learn how to properly file away those papers on our desk so that they don't become just this permanent mess that has, has really um, just messed us up on the inside. So, so straighten up your papers and, uh, and bring them before God, bring in brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ. Don't be afraid to ask for help and to reach out to people. And uh, hopefully all of this has kind of helped um, give you a way to minister to people going through that and a way to maybe start to process some of these things if you're the one that's gone through it. And I don't know if, what, what, if you had anything to say in closing, Wes. I think that what you said about bringing it to the Lord is so important. We all have a story and it's important to, to include where Christ wants us in that story, right? We tend to try to write our own story and God's written a story for us. Um, and these things are important. What you are dealing with is important, whatever it is, however minor you might think it is. Everybody thinks somebody else's problem is way, that's more important and you need to deal with that. Um, but you need to, you know, um, again, that Psalm 43, oh, you know, why are you disquieted within me? If, you're, if, you're, if your soul is disquieted within you, um, you know, there's hope. There's hope in Christ. There's hope in God. Um, he wants to be there for you. Yeah, that's very true. Well, thank you, Wes. Thank you for your time. I appreciate the conversation. It was really fun. I really, it was. I really enjoyed it. So hopefully maybe we can do this again sometime. Anytime, buddy. Awesome.